All right, y'all. Was worship not just incredible this morning? Just the singing together was just amazing. And uh, I want to thank Ruby Lopez for her first time hosting up here and bringing her heart to the World Vision team and what we're doing there. So wonderful job. Uh, Hey, so here's what I want you to do. I want you to think for a moment of your most important relationship, your most important relationship. In the past, we've called it your yimmer, yimmer. Okay, so that could be that could be like the just the the relationship that you're bringing like a lot of energy to right now. It could be the one that you've uh, devoted and covenanted your vows with through through marriage. It could be a sibling relationship. It could be a coworker relationship. But right now, just the season that you're in, who is your most important relationship? And by the way, by the way, God would be an answer. We're talking about horizontal relationships. Okay, do you have that person in your mind? You have that person in your mind? Yet, your most important relationship? Okay, so I want to offer you a word from the scriptures that I just think is the, like, it is the key to unlocking the zenith, that that thing that will cause your relationship to ascend, to flourish, to thrive, unlike other. It is the word in the Greek, alelon, alelon, which is actually translated as two words, one another. Over a hundred times in the New Testament, uh, particularly, the Apostle Paul uses this, this phrase, this word, all alone, one another. Four things like love one another, which is like unconditionally, like in bad times, good times, always love. Does that, do you see what I'm saying? Or serve one another, or pray for one another, or bear one another's burdens, or seek the goodwill of, of, of one another. Do you see where this is going? Like if we actually did these kinds of things, it would just absolutely cause our relationships to soar. If we served, if we prayed, if we bear and burdens of the other, if we walked with them one, one another, if we turned towards the other and said, I want to call you or stimulate you to good deeds. There's over a hundred of these. And then my favorite, and I want to show you on the screen, it's Ephesians chapter 5, 21, and it says this, submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. Isn't that an awesome word? Does that not just like make you come alive? You're like, yes, I get to do that. It's feeling really lonely up here is what it is. Is what it, like, no, not quite, right? That didn't elicit this like deep yes from you. Probably the other things did. Like, yes, I'd like to do that. I don't always do that, but that's a really good thing. Yes, 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 yes. What? Submit. What is up with that? Anybody have that reaction? Yeah? Could be for a whole host of reasons. Could be maybe the, um, the background by which you grew up. Could be part of your story. Could be how that word was used and misappropriated or the malpractice of the word submission. There could be all sorts of reasons. And maybe right now you're like me. You're like, well, maybe when Paul says submit, he doesn't really mean submit. He means more like preferentially seek the good of others by saying yes to them occasionally when it works in your best interests. <laughs> you know, it's like, what does the word mean? And, and the word in the Greek is hupotasso. And uh, I'll, I'll just have you look at it here. There's really not a lot of wiggle room to the word. It means to obey, put yourself under the authority of, or subject yourself to. And then this is my own kind of... Um, addition to yield to another. Does that that make it any better for you at this point? We're just off to a rip-roaring start here, aren't we, people? Right? So here's what's so 
radical about this message that Paul is offering us. Because in that society and in our society, submission generally means there's a big man or a, um, or, or a female who has a lot of authority and influence. And there is a very small, wee little man. And the one who is bigger dominates over the one who is smaller. And this is our idea of submission. Would you agree? In terms of like, this is kind of how it works in our society. The Apostle Paul, when he says, do this to one another, what does that look like? He's saying something radically different. He's saying one to another. And who is the one another that he's talking to? We're in this long, long, long Bible crawl through the New Testament letter by the Apostle Paul called Ephesians. And he's talking to Jews and Gentiles. This is crazy that actually Jews, the the chosen people, would, would submit to Gentiles whom they wouldn't even like touch or enter into their home or eat a meal with, right? That he's talking to men and he's talking to women. I mean, all the people in this community, he's talking to those who have socioeconomic abilities and he's talking to the poor. He's talking um, to, in Roman society, he's talking to the patricians those who own land and come from the right family and go to the private schools. And he's talking to those who don't, the plebeians, right? He's talking to a whole, like, this, this chasm of socioeconomic, racial, ethnic, um, religious, and everything else, gender kind of deal. And he's completely subverting this whole power grid on his head. And as we go further into this series, he's going to get more specific. He's going to talk to husbands and he's going to talk to wives. He's going to talk to parents and he's going to talk to kids. And really he's going to talk to dads. Moms get a pass for obvious reasons, right? And then, uh, and we'll give a whole Sunday to talk about this. He talks to masters and he talks to slaves. Now, in this whole conversation, what is not surprising in the topic of submission is that Paul would be talking to this group of people, Gentiles, women, poor, plebeians, uh, wives, kids, and slaves. That would be obvious. What is radical, what is so very radical, is that Paul is addressing, when he uses the term one another, he's addressing everybody. Everyone is on the hook for this. And it's one of the most beautiful things in the world. Here's in Love Math Turns where we, we bring um, deep scriptural insights, we hope, and where we bring together um, the deep matter of relationships and we look at the deep heart of God and we put it into funky little formulas. Paul is saying, I'm going to call you to say that you are less than and I'm going to call the other person to say, oh, no, 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 I am less than you. And that equals, like my Vanna White thing, just so fun. That equals the unicorn of relationships is what that, what that equals. That right there is what the apostle Paul is saying, where two people turn to one another and they yield to one another and they say, no, listen, I'm in this relationship to seek your, your best. 
I'm here to try and draw out your very best and help you seek your deepest dreams. Like I am, I'm going to posture myself such that I enter into this relationship not doing what we so often do, right? What do we so often do? Sorry about the whiteboard over there, folks. Hello. This is how we often do relationship. We go, I really, I'm not going to say it this way, but honestly, I'm greater and I've got really important needs. I know you have needs and all and, and, and interests, but actually mine are just a little bit more important. Why? Because they're mine is kind of how we say it, right? And the other person says, well, I'm going to enter in this relationship because I need things from you. And two people are just coming at it with their own needs, kind of with this kind of like selfish kind of like interest and everything. And that creates, what does that create? That creates a question. The question is, who wins in that kind of relationship? Who wins? Whoever has the most power. And then everyone in the relationship loses. Now we do this though, don't we? I mean, is it, is it, not, is it not true that when you think about your humor, your most important relationship, is it not true? that we actually come into relationships like this. Whether by, uh, we talked about it last week, our survival instinct, you know, we, we wanna fight, we wanna flee, we wanna feign, we wanna free, whatever, we're just, we're on guard, we're, we're fearful. Straight out of Genesis three, where sin entered the world and all of a sudden, sudden this kind of, this mutuality, this beautiful kind of harmony and relationship just got splintered and then blame enters the world, shame, right? Fear, hiding. Even to say, by the way, even to say that I come at it with a greater than sign doesn't mean that I think I'm greater. It could actually mean that I'm really, really insecure. And I actually feel really inferior. I just don't know how to go about in the relationship acting any differently other than trying to gain everything for myself. Now, I think part of the, the reason we had crickets in the room particularly if you grew up in a church context, is because um, you've experienced submission before. And maybe it looked like this, where you are called to submit, and the other person says, well, yes, you are. And that leads to a lot of carnage and a lot of pain. Paul is offering this really, really radical vision of community, this radical vision of relationship, and, and he gives us a little bit of a roadmap that's essential for all of this. Because frankly, this won't work unless Two people are submitted to something higher than themselves. This won't work unless two people are submitted to something higher, deeper, further, more in authority over them. And Paul says what? He says, submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. This is the only way this will work. And it's so beautiful when it does. 
Now, here's, here's, here's how, it, how it works. When two people surrender to Jesus, and they say, I'm going to give my life to you, O Lord, and I'm going to invite your Holy Spirit into my life, right? And then Jesus, by his Spirit, he pours into us. And what does he pour into us? He pours into us, and I'll just give you kind of three things. What happens when we submit to Jesus? Number one is you learn that you mean the world to your Father in heaven. You mean the world to him. Like, God just pours into you and says, before the, the foundations of the world began, I knew you, I loved you, I had every hair in your hair counted, on, on your head counted, and, and our identity is secured up here. We're anchored in our very being. Why? Because the creator of the universe knows our name. And says, if, it were, if you were the only one on the planet, I would still come. I would still give my life for you. I would still abandon the grave. I'd do it all for you. mean the world to me. And when we learn that in relationship with the Father, when we submit to Jesus, surrender to him with our lives, when we trust him in that way, things just flood into our heart. And we become secure. We don't need to jockey about for power or reputation because we know that we are a son or a daughter of the king of the cosmos. That's number one. That's what happens when we surrender and submit our lives to Jesus, the one who has our very best life in mind. The second thing that happens, in addition to we learn that we mean the world to God, is we learn that we aren't the center of his world. That to give our lives to Jesus means we are to give our lives away. We're to pick up our cross, deny ourselves, and we are to live in service of the other, which could be our next door neighbor or it could be our enemy. That we join the kingdom of, of God as it's advancing. We say, there is something larger than me. There is something beyond me. And I now know that I have a purpose and I'm not that purpose. And we find our best life when we give our lives away, God fills us up. He goes, oh my gosh, you have no idea how much you mean to me. The value that you are to me now, go overflow that to the other person. That's how we can do it. And when two people are doing that, holy cow. When two people are just going, oh my gosh, I, am, I mean the world to him. But I also know that it is not about me at the end of the day that I'm going to give myself over by the overflow of all that's pouring into me. That's the unicorn. That's the unicorn. That's what happens. And there's a third reason we do this, which is that when we submit to Jesus, we are submitting to a submitted leader himself. This is the crazy thing. And isn't that important? Think about the people that just, whether you have a choice or, or you don't, where you work or the, the church that you go to or whatever the, the different kind of hierarchies you find yourself in, how important to you is the fact that you're following a submitted leader? How important is that? It should be really, really important. Because if you're not following a submitted leader, then that leads to what? Just think about it. An unsubmitted leadership leads to all sorts of carnage, of corruption, of tyranny. I mean, it it never goes well. Why? Because the old adage, absolute power corrupts absolutely. We just see it time and time again, don't we? through the pages of, of history and, and also in all sorts of things in our own heart, we just see that an unsubmitted leader is a really, really dangerous thing. 
So whoever we put at the top here, that thing that's going to bind whatever your relationship might be here, the thing that's going to draw you together, you want to make sure that it's submitted as well. And we see that in the life of Jesus. We see him modeling these things. In fact, when Paul says in Ephesians 5.21, when he calls us to submit to one another out of reverence for Christ, he's hearkening us back 21 verses to Ephesians 5.1 and 2, which is, you've been around. Like this is kind of a, a paramount core kind of thing where he says, follow God's example, therefore. As dearly loved children, what's he saying here? Okay, you're gonna follow the example of God. As dearly loved children, and walk in the way of love. We're walking in the way of love just as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us. We see this kind of pathway opening up. We see Jesus actually have to make a choice to give his life up. He had to submit to the Father. It happened in, in the Garden of Gethsemane the night that he was arrested before he was crucified. He brought his three closest friends into a place they'd hang out called the Mount of Olives, the Garden of Gethsemane. He goes there to pray, and he knows that he has been sent by the Father to give his life away for the sins of the world, for the brokenness within all creation, and he doesn't want to do it. He knows how anguishing it's going to be. So he cries out, and we have his prayer on record. He says that he went a little further from his friends. And he fell with his face to the ground and prayed, My father, if it is possible, may this cup be taken from me. Yet not as I will, but as you will. Do you see? Do you see the submission going on for him? Do you see him going? And this is crazy because let's just make sure we have, have a clear theology about who Jesus is. Fully man and fully God. A full and complete member of the Trinity. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Our one triune God, God who is one, three persons. Each person is equally God and one God. It's a mystery, and we see within this Trinity, what's called the Trinity, we see this beautiful submission of Jesus. We also see an imitation of Jesus, of the Father. Look with me at John chapter 5. He says this. He says, the Son, referring to himself, can do nothing by himself. He can do only what he sees his father doing because whatever the father does, the son also does what I hope you get a sense of. And we could just throw so many different scriptures up there to demonstrate this is that within the Godhead, within God himself is relationship. And within the relationship of father, son, and Holy Spirit is this mutuality, this interdependence and this submitting to. Even the Father submits to the Son by giving him all things into his command. Okay, that's becoming increasingly a problem. So, let me do this. Start turning off. Let you find me there. There you go, Chris, thanks. So I hope you see in the midst of, of all this this beautiful relationship, the most thriving relationship ever in all the cosmos in existence that exists between Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And Jesus has recorded his life on earth, this beautiful submission. So what does this mean about submission? Just wanna offer you quickly four things. Number one, if Jesus submitted as God himself, it means that submission is not about inferiority. 
it is not about inferiority. There is a deep and rich equality in submission. Number two, true and beautiful submission is always voluntary. It is always voluntary. Even Jesus said this. He says, I have authority to lay down my life, and I have the authority to take it up again. He made that choice in the garden. Number three, submission still maintains distinction of role, of function, and of leadership. It's not an abdication of leadership to submit. It doesn't mean that there are no roles or specificity. There certain, certainly was in this culture, and we'll get more into that. that. That is true for me. So I'm lead pastor here. That's my serving role. But I submit to Tom Bronner, who's an associate pastor. So on the hierarchy chart, it's me and it's Tom. But actually, when we meet every Tuesday morning together, that flips. And what we're trying to practice here is mutual submission. I submit to my wife as she also submits to me. I submitted to a 14-year-old referee who, as the, as the coach of the um, sixth grade lightning bolts, the girls' team, rec league, I'm on the sideline. And I'm a, I'm, a, I'm a chatty coach. I'm verbal. I think it comes from my baseball kind of days, you know. And so I'm just always talking. I'm always just saying things. I don't think it's mean or anything, and I don't think it's caustic. But I'm like, handball, that was a handball. Did you see the handball? And that's gone on a few times. And this 14-year-old kid referee just looks at me and goes, let me do my job. You're clapping for him, I see. <laughs> yeah. I just walked out. I just totally, like, he shut me down for the whole rest of the game. I was just done. It's like, we submit to one another. There's still roles. There's still functions, often determined by what's your great strength and how are you going to bring that into the relationship. But it doesn't mean, this is the fourth point, when you submit, it doesn't mean that you lose power. And I think that's our greatest fear, is that when we submit, we'll lose power. That that big question mark that we had just a second ago will be answered, and we'll be trampled, we'll be taken advantage of, we'll be manipulated. What Paul is inviting us into is actually a way of more power, not less. More power not less. And I want to I want to define what that power was for Jesus. I want to define what that power is for you and me as we I'm going to call us to say how can we practice this in your most important relationship. And so as we kind of close out here, I want to go to this this passage that's basically a roadmap of submission that we're called to for any anyone that's a follower of Jesus. Let me just be really clear. This is not optional. To submit one to another is not just, um, you know, that's not an elective. This is what it means to be a follower of Jesus. No less than praying for one another. No less than loving one another. We are to submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. So I want to look at a roadmap that I think speaks to the posture in which we do that. And it's from Philippians chapter 2. And it's Paul who's referencing probably the most ancient 
uh, hymn in church history and the most ancient writing within the New Testament letter. And I want you to look at it with me here. So he says, do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. What is he saying there? He is saying, I am asking you to go from here to here. I'm asking you, and I'm going to ask you at the end of our time here, what, it, what does it look like, and how are you entering into your relationship like this, and what will it look like to move like this? And Paul says, do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, he says, turn around in humility. That's an interesting word. You know what's interesting about humility? Humility is not self-deprecation. Humility is, uh, it's not even this like, I'm going to lower myself in a a way where I'm just going to cower before you. Humility is one of the words that speaks to the securest human being. Humility speaks to someone who is so secure in who they are and so secure in whose they are. They don't need to tower. They don't need to power up. They don't need to try to just, you know, suck everything out of the other person. We can be humble because we have such a security in knowing our own dignity in our personhood as human beings. Why? Because we are a son or a daughter of our king in heaven. That's where humility comes from. Secondly, in humility, value others. Value others. And that just happens. We already spoke about it, didn't we? As I'm learning about my own value to God, and now I'm called to like say, no, but it's not about you. Like, actually, value others. That's about seeing the dignity in another human being, whether it's your best friend or whether it's your enemy or whether right now it's your frenemy and they're both. Is seeing the value. They're made in the image of God and all that I have received from the Father awaits them as well if he or she is not experiencing it as as others. See what's going on here? See how this triangle is working in humility? Because I'm secure in my identity. I don't have anything more I need to prove. And now I can value others above myself. And then look with me here, not looking to my own interest, but each of you to the interests of others. There's a posture there, isn't there? There's an intentionality. There's an attentiveness to it to say, what are the interests? How often do you really think about the interests of your most important relationship? I mean, how often do 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 you sit back and just go, what are the interests of my wife? And I'm thinking about that for me. This is a new thought, not in the script. And it's convicting. I think automatically about my own interests about what I want to eat. Food's a thing for me. So, so here's my confession on uh, that, that uh, less-than sign becomes a greater-than sign around food. Happened last night. Happens every night, let's be honest. But it was bacon was involved last night, so it, it, was, uh, it, was, uh, it was extreme. Happens with ideas for me. So with ideas, I want them to be mine. And, and if others don't like my ideas, I will do my best to submit and sometimes be pouty all at the same time. 
It, it gets confusing being a lead pastor who's also called to submit one to another. Just confess that to you. So what is it for you? No one had to teach us how, how to look after our own interests. Part of that's our survival instinct. It doesn't mean that we don't care for our own interests, right? He's not saying that. He's saying go beyond your own interests to seek the other. And what's he basing it on? We're going to see another one another here. In your relationships with Allah alone, in your relationships, right in the middle there, with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus, who being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Isn't that beautiful? We have the roadmap in the way of Jesus. Let's keep reading. Rather, he turned the greater sign around. He made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness, and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. What do we see here? We see that for Jesus, submission led to worship. Every knee bows, every tongue confesses. He's exalted. The Father, another thing he submits is his glory to the Son. It's crazy. It's beautiful. For us, for you and me, and in your own kind of, your most important relationship, what is the power? If for Jesus that power was worship, the power for you and I is that submission leads to intimacy. It leads to intimacy. Why? Why? I'm going to ask the band to come out here and start getting set up. But how does submission, when it's truly one to another, and when it's truly submitted under Jesus, how does that lead to intimacy? When you and I, when we, when we submit, we move in humility from a place of security, and we turn to the other person, and really we make a confession, which is, I don't have all the answers. I can't do this by myself. I know I have blind spots. I need you. I need you. And so in that regard, intimacy leads to vulnerability. And vulnerability leads to an access to another person's heart. It leads to a place where, where you're inviting the voice in and of another person. You're inviting their heart, their interests, their passions. And what does that engender? Trust. 
and relationships can only grow and thrive at the speed and the depth of how much we trust one another. The power of submission will ultimately lead to the same intimacy that Jesus shares with the Father. When he cried out in that garden, he cried, not dad, he cried, Abba, daddy. And the intimacy that he shared with his best friends when he even practiced mutual submission radically with them. This takes great trust. This requires baby steps for sure. But I just want to ask you that in this relationship of you and me trying to get all that we can and the other person trying to get so protective, so dominating. Who's gonna win in the power? How does that work? How's that working in this most important relationship of yours? And where's that relationship going? And so the last thing I wanna say about submission is the question, who goes first? it might be a little delicate. You might need some counseling. But in general, here's the answer. You do. You do. Let's stand and we'll pray together. So Jesus, we thank you that we have in you one who took the path of submission. And today, that's why we worship you. Because you could have done this leadership thing so differently. You could have towered over us. You could have controlled us. You could have come and taken all the resources in heaven and just uh, kept them all for yourself. But instead, you emptied yourself and said, all that I have, I'm not even gonna use to my own advantage. I'm gonna empty myself for the sake of the other, for those that I love. And so we submit to you today, Jesus. We surrender to you. And we say you are worthy of being followed. Because never in human history have we ever seen such a beautiful life and a beautiful death, a beautiful offering. And so we worship you today as one who can tear down the walls in our heart, those greater than signs. And I want to ask you in the spirit of prayer and as we close in this short worship song, how will you, by the power of the Holy Spirit in you, how will you turn your greater sign to a lesser than sign? How will you do that? And Father, would you give us just one thing that would come to mind that you would empower us to do, to go first. In Jesus' name, amen.